Great. Well, this morning we are going to continue uh, our time looking at the book of Romans, uh, and everything I just said is what we're going to be talking about. So if you paid attention, uh, you, were, you were getting a preview of the whole sermon. But today's passage is Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. This is what it says. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. These two two sentences, one of the main things that we get told is that uh, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's like a really just basic concept, but something that we need to know is that strength is not the sign of maturity inside our whole family, inside the faith that believes in Jesus. Strength isn't the sign of maturity, but weakness actually is. The disciple that says, I can't move forward at all unless God carries me, That's the disciple who's actually somewhere on the path towards joy. And I know, like, we may think, uh, man, I'm like that, of course. I'm weak when it comes to uh, the big stuff, like housing and jobs and marriage and grief and all those things. We come to the place like, yeah, I'm totally weak when it comes to those big things. But Paul isn't talking about the kind of a weakness that's just like, hey, you can't do the heavy lifting. You know, like the person who's sitting there trying to bench press 350 pounds is like, oh, if you're weak, yeah, like that's how the Spirit helps you. No, what Paul is talking about is the weakness that can't even get off the floor in the morning. The, the weakness and the person who's so weak they can't carry a single burden in their life A weakness that can't even walk out the door into the world and the purpose that God's given them. A weakness that can't enter any relationship that they find, whether it's someone that they're married to or it's just a brother or a sibling or a person on the street. The kind of weakness says, I can't do even that. It's too much for me. That is the weakness that he's talking about. And that is the kind of weakness and the dependence that Paul is saying that the Spirit helps us in all of those things. Uh, There's a weakness of ability, right? Like we don't know what to do. We don't have the skills and the talents. We don't have the self-control. We don't have the language abilities or the strength to do what we're called to. And Paul has been spending, you know, two chapters already talking about how we want to do these great things. We want to live a spiritual life, and yet we don't. And so that's a weakness of I just don't know how to do it. There's also the weakness of survival. Where's my next meal? Where's my next rent check? Where's my next medical treatment? How will I afford whatever, whatever, whatever? How will I survive? That's weakness too. And then there's this other kind of weakness. Some people call it depression. Other people call it loneliness. Some people call it burnout or anxiety or trauma. And it's simply just weakness of soul. 
the weariness of the soul that, that exists and can exist in mansions or on movie sets or in high-rise apartments. It can happen in tent, city, or tent cities in Venice. It can happen anywhere. It's the person who has that constant dryness in their soul, yet moisture and wetness in their eyes. That's the, the feeling of numbness, the dread at the same time. You ache in grief and remorse and the pain, you know, all of that stuff, and you cannot... Uh, quench that or get away from that kind of grief through any of the typical distractions. It's weakness of soul. And you don't even feel like fighting darkness or sin anymore. King David in the Old Testament uh, entered and lived that kind of weakness his whole life. Uh, For David, it wasn't just a one-off season. It was a constant over and over again kind of thing where he had experienced different waves of isolation or grief or despair, and though none of us were there to clinically analyze him, we can do that enough because we all did, you know, psychology 101 in college, but he was often depressed. David was betrayed by mentors and friends, people who were like brothers to him. He was abandoned pretty quickly by his own family members who just thought he was a joke. He was forced to live and hide in caves. Even his own children came back and tried to kill him in his life. And we often sing David's songs or we read his poems and they call us into just this understanding of the greatness of God. And we might think, I want to have the faith like David who says, let every creature worship him. But there's also plenty of these raw poems that just express a dry soul of a man trying to figure life out. Prayers of neediness, where he says things like this, how long, God, will you forget me? Lord, will you be quiet forever? Or this one, don't turn away from me any longer. Or will you betray me like everyone else? David was soul tired. He was the king of his own kingdom, Everything was at his disposal, and yet he was a great example of complete weakness. As Psalm 121 says, Where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. Are you a person who is weak? Church, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And he talks about how the Spirit helps us with these wordless groans, which I just, I mean, that's the aching, the pain, the sighs. Uh, One of the things that I find really impressive about this over and over again, he's talking about intercession and interpretation. And I often think of you know, during COVID, we got to see, I never see, saw this before COVID, but, you know, the mayor or the governor giving some sort of update, and off to the side, there's someone doing American Sign Language just, like, perfectly so that those who cannot even speak or can't even say anything can somehow hear and understand what the words are. Uh, but so much more than that, the, the, the Spirit is speaking on behalf of people who cannot say or even know what they want to say through these wordless groans. The Spirit speaks on behalf of the voiceless when you have no voice. 
The Spirit also speaks to you in your weakness when you can't even hear, speaking through your, your frail abilities. And this is what intercession is. You can't imagine even the words to begin to say. You're too weak to even know how you feel to bring that to God. You don't even know what you want to ask for. The Spirit intercedes. And these wordless groans are those deep longings, just so we can attach something to it. Those deep longings that we have, or those dreams that come out in us, or those visions for life that we might have, or those hopes that, you, that sort of grow within you, the ones that you're too scared to even you know, share with others or even write in your own journal. It's the wordless groans of the Spirit speaking to you. Or those heartaches that hit you whenever you've read the news over and over again and nothing brings you to grief or this anger or this call to action. But those are the wordless groans of the Spirit operating in you, causing you to ask what you didn't even know you wanted to ask for. Those moments of deep compassion for others that you should not have. Or those mysterious times where you're drawn to a generosity when you feel like you have nothing else to give anyway. Those are the wordless groans of the Spirit. Or those moments when you feel loved, even though there's no evidence that you might be loved at all. Those moments when you know, I am not alone. Those moments when you're encouraged, when the circumstances do not you know, lend itself to encouragement. Those times when you know, I am a daughter of God. Those are the wordless groans of the Spirit. When after years of struggling with sin and lust or whatever it might be, you turn around and say, wow, I can't believe that temptation is just a single degree less than it was before. That is the Spirit interceding for you. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you mind saying that out loud? There's a call and response. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I love it. And don't allow that to be a hard truth for you to say or a hard truth for you to accept and to declare. Because the whole thing, the whole Jesus thing, begins with you knowing that you are weak and in need of intense intervention and help. While you were weak, Jesus entered into your life as a necessity for you to have a life. While you were weak, Jesus interceded and put himself between you and death and evil and sin. While you were weak, Jesus rose from the dead. And so this is the cherished anthem of anyone and a declaration of all people who believe the Spirit helps me in my weakness. The very first words that you spoke as a Christian are these, I can't move without God. And if you're wondering, how is it that I enter into the Christian life? How do I begin taking these steps into the whole thing that we've been talking about and the power of the Holy Spirit? If you're wondering, what is it that I have to do? The first words are, I am weak, and Jesus, I need you, and you're the only one that I could ever like, have that would fill my need. Jesus, I need you, I am weak. That's the whole deal. But he also talks about how the Spirit like searches us 
to know us. Arguably, some of the greatest discoveries that have happened uh, and some of the greatest achievements of humanity that have taken place since we landed on the moon, because that was awesome. Uh, but some of the greatest things that have happened since that or, or some of the best explorations of humanity has been towards the inner workings of the human thoughts, emotions, memories, brain science. I mean, it's been a phenomenal journey for us these last uh, six, eight decades. In fact, in 2010, National Geographic, which you know is the best magazine and only magazine to still own, but National Geographic declared that the human brain is the last great frontier of discovery. And they said that in an article talking about how, yes, understanding the depths of the cosmos is actually an easier thing for us to attain than to know how we operate in our brains. Which is wild that they were saying that there's still so much to discover because there's been some just incredible breakthroughs. It's hard to even keep up. You know, there's the discoveries in the 60s about how there's actual chemicals going on and reactions happening within our brains that leads to emotions. How they discovered the location of empathy and compassion in the brain and even connecting like physical, tangible health in that area of your brain to your ability to live with empathy. How they discovered the reality of trauma and how your brain physically reacts where memory is stored, how story is perceived and understood. They've discovered realities or responses to love. Brain scientists are able to understand these physical realities as some of the depths of what makes us human. I mean, it's really fascinating. And these discoveries, whether you know it or not, they're now part of everyday life for us. Uh, they're part of the business world, uh, that's like all the best books being sold on how to lead or market or do anything. They're all based off brain science, right? There you go. Uh, uh, no. Uh, or uh, even athletics. You can't even watch a sporting event or even be part of sports without them bringing in all of this brain science stuff. Or in storytelling, understanding this is how people physically respond. It's all being applied well beyond just mental health in general. Eight decades of research fueled by technolo technological advances like the MRI or research fellowships from some of the greatest universities in the world. They've taken the brain and the inner workings of a human and they've turned it from this is a complete mystery, we have no clue, to now these brain scientists can say with so much certainty we think we know some things. That's why they said exploring Mars is easier than understanding the inner workings of the person sleeping next to me at night. The heart, the mind, the soul. Who could know such things? With all of that, still feel like, wow, just a little bit less of a mystery. And yet, verse 27 says this, the spirit is searching and explores the inner realities of your heart and knows you. The spirit of God knows you, knows your heart, knows your story, your wiring, your trauma. God knows your grief. He knows uh, all of your hangups. He knows your giftings. He knows you. 
and searches you and has an understanding of you that you don't even have of yourself. An understanding of where you're going in life, where you've been, an understanding of what aches deeply within you that you can't even understand yourself. Psalm 139 is true for all of us. It says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Not only does the Spirit know more than any researcher, the Spirit speaks and knows the heart of God. That's what he's saying here. The one who searches you and also knows the complete heart and passion of God. That's who's interceding for us in our daily weakness and struggle. And then he says, all of this, all of this, per, all of this is for God's purpose or in accordance to God's will. That's what it's for. Uh, the cul-de-sac uh, is the greatest, you know, neighborhood invention that ever came to exist, right? Our street's not exactly a cul-de-sac, but it turns in on itself, uh, which is really great. One of the things that's really beautiful about the cul-de-sac is they, could, they design these places so that every home would be safe and be, know that there's no cars driving through here. There's no danger to any of us. We can play roller hockey. We can have fireworks in the middle of the cul-de-sac. Nobody's coming in who wasn't invited. It just builds this great, beautiful, your yards are bigger. It's amazing, like, because it's, anyway, uh, you could look into that. Not as much discovery as with the neighborhood design, but still a lot. But this is what we have to understand. That's what this last, this last phrase that the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God is letting us know that all of this power of the Spirit in our lives is not so that we can be some sort of cul-de-sac of safety. This isn't motivational speaking, like, hey, there's a fire inside of you. You can be the best version of you. Just tap into the power of the Spirit. I mean, that's definitely some of the implications, but that's not the end of what this is all about. And while your care is important, like super important that you would know that God hears you and knows your grief, all of that is so great, but that is not the only extent of God's spirit in you. That's not the extent of what it's for. The spirit's work in your life, the speaking, the interceding is for God's purpose and will to be done. And it definitely begins with you going from bondage to freedom, you going from isolation to community. It includes all of that, but God's purpose and his spirit in you is to bring about his will in this world. His will is his intention. We don't talk about wills very often like, Brad's will is so good. You're not even allowed to say strong-willed child anymore, just so you know. It's spirited, okay? If you have a strong-willed child, it's a spirited child, which I think is great because you can be like, yeah, spirit-full. Anyway, uh, we don't talk about wills very often, but God's will, it's his intention, his plan, his purpose, his design, and his desire to accomplish it. In other words, it's God's mission and purpose in the world. God's will, his design, his mission is about shalom, a thriving peace for every human heart and every creature. It's about having peace between God and humanity. 
It's about his flourishing for every human and every location of human lives. And it's, and it's so much bigger than just us knowing these truths. God's will is for the business world so that every customer-client relationship, that ever, every employer, employer and employee relationship would be somehow saturated with this understanding that, that there's forgiveness and grace and peace and prosperity given to all of us. God's desire is to see the business world and the marketplace and all the places that we operate in not just be places where we get widgets you know, accomplished and built, but places where humans collaborate together to build up a world that just displays his creativity and his purpose and his generosity. God's will, his shalom, his desire for flourishing is for every educational environment that there would be a place where people come together to have an understanding and a revelation of not just, hey, this is how we pass the test in a few days, but I need my whole mind renewed by the Spirit of God. His desire for for flourishing and peace extends to every family, that every daughter and son and every sibling wouldn't be rivals with one another, but would have just the very bedrock understanding of an abounding, abundant love. And the arts, God's desire, his passion, his will is to see everybody being able to create beautiful pictures or garments or whatever it might be, but to be able to do so with the freedom knowing I don't have to accomplish anything to be loved. His desire is for creation to be restored itself, that every living creature in the ocean or every bird flying through the air would have a a restorative reality where they're not scavenging for food or running away from the havoc that we've brought onto their places, but would have complete peace. God's will and his passion is for every hospital that every nurse and doctor would care for people, not as problems to solve, but as human beings made in the image of God. That they would be just sort of images of God's intercession into our physical realities, where broken things are mended. This is what the Spirit is interceding and saying and doing in your life. He's calling you into that mission. He's The the wordless groans, the knowing and the searching of your heart, the mind of the spirit in your life is calling you and convicting you and preparing you and sending you into this kind of mission. Does that overwhelm you? Does that somehow make you run back to bed and throw the covers back on and say, I don't think I can face a world and a life where that's my calling? I wonder if maybe one of the reasons that we don't feel weak with the Spirit is because we've settled for callings that are small enough for us to do. If we're we're settling for passions that we know we can accomplish. Do you think to yourself as I talk about God's will and his purpose in this world, do you think, how can I ever play even a small part of that mission? Does it make you feel completely weak? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit empowers us, inspires us, and leads us to be a witness of God's restoration in this entire world.
He helps us in our weakness. Let's pray. Spirit, I I thank you for your presence within us. That you rose Jesus from the dead. That was by your power, Spirit. And you are within us, caring for us and leading us. Uh, Spirit, I thank you that the work that you're doing in our hearts and our lives doesn't end with us, but through Spirit, uh, you, you do things through us. Um, I ask that you would do more and more through us, that we would yield uh, in our weakness to your power to come and operate through our lives. I thank you, Spirit. Amen.